They have come from the cold, far reaches of space. Roger, TACOM. Unidentified aircraft. To conquer our world. Request permission to fire. And to enslave our people forevermore. He's disappeared. That is, until the Balsark hit the spinning Crinor. Greetings. I seek that techno-industrial complex where I might obtain two or three subnuts of platinum paste. This time of night, huh? This is the story of two aliens, Beldar and Primat. Yes, square George. I have free radiated leftover starch disc. Ah, pizza. I will enjoy it. Do not steer the top of your neck hole. For them, it was a chance to build a new dream. Where are you from? From France. I come from France. It was a chance to settle into the neighborhood, make a home for themselves. <laughs> we will ignite our new flame pit and char some mammal flesh for you. And start a new family. I am with both. You? I? A young one? But they never lost their appetite for life. Wow! My mom's the only other woman I've ever known who could make a sandwich like that. For their passion for each other. Let us suppose for some reason my life function ceased. What would you do? I would incinerate your carcass in the tradition of Obadiah the Obtuse and put it in a clean, dry place. Paramount Pictures proudly presents a motion picture. These are great seats. That's heads above the rest. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd. It is as if you have seized me at the base of my snarklies. <laughs> Jane Curtin. Tang, the drink the astronauts took to the moon. Astronauts to the moon. <laughs> Bonehead. Are they from another planet? If they're not, we should nuke France right away. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast, take two. I am here <laughs> with my good friend, Will Fordyce. Will, introduce yourself, my friend. Hello, I am the spoken of Will Fordyce. We've tried to record this podcast before. We ran into a bunch of technical difficulty, but I think we have everything under control now. We're going to get this out to you the listening public. When you're listening to this, listen to it extra hard because we put a lot of effort into getting this out to you. Lots of effort for you, the people who love Dan Aykroyd. It's been two hours and we have absolutely nothing done. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just like the corporate world. Uh, <laughs> so we're on par. We are on par. We're going to start this off. When I asked Will what movie he wanted to do, he immediately said Coneheads. And why is that, Will? Why was Coneheads at the top of your list? The, I mean, you gave me the spectrum of, like, Dan Aykroyd movies. And, and to be honest with you, this might also be one of my favorite, or within the top five at least, SNL movies um, produced by Lauren Michaels and uh, that has a crew that features a heavy cast from people that have been formerly on SNL or uh, I think was Farley on SNL during this? This was 93, so I think so. Yeah, you said Dan Aykroyd, and this is like, when I think Dan Aykroyd, uh, it usually goes Ghostbusters, Coneheads, and then trails off into um, <laughs> some of his more uh, interesting things. Uh, he has an alien documentary. Um, I, so I, this is like I number two a, in my head for Dan Aykroyd. I did a podcast on that. You, uh, Dan Aykroyd unplugged on UFOs. I did a podcast that, on that. Yep. is very interesting. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd is very interesting, yeah. Yeah, I wonder if there's correlation between, like, when he thought of it. I mean, uh, maybe in the, because you said in the, the first attempt, you were saying that um, the Coneheads, um, the sketch on SNL was um, in the 70s. So I wonder if his, uh, like, fascination or obsession with that kind of esoteric um, some say, uh, went back then when he started the sketch. Oh, definitely, definitely. Dan Aykroyd, his entire life, has believed in the occult, believed in ghosts. Well, you can just tell by his movies. You know, it's Ghostbusters, yeah. we're doing this one, Coneheads, which is a alien movie. He did My Stepmother is an Alien. A lot oh, of oh, that's right. A lot of his movies have extra, extraterrestrial or paranormal. That's it, paranormal things attached to it and he's huh. always he, he the paranormal and the blues those are the two <laughs> things that dan Aykroyd is passionate about yeah but um yeah man this was just i mean 
one of my favorite, like growing up, this was one of my movies that just, I mean, I enjoyed watching and just the star studded cast and just the, the, some of the heavy hitters that are in here that, um, that just, I mean, the, the cast is amazing. If nothing else. I'm going to have to admit this was my first time viewing Coneheads. <laughs> yes, this was my first serious? time seeing it. Yeah, I'm serious. Oh my goodness. Oh, um, and something else I would like to note. Um, this, uh, I, one of my favorite shows is Third Rock from the Sun, uh, which features Jane Curtin as well. And I, when, when looking a little bit more um, detailed at the movie since we were going to do this cast, uh, I noticed that Bonnie and Terry Turner uh, were writers for this movie. And I, I assume that this also helped plant the siege for Third Rock from the Sun. It might have, yes. And something I mean, about Jane Curtin I've always found interesting is she was in three hit TV shows in three different decades. She was in Saturday Night Live in the 70s. She uh -huh. was in Kate, Kate Nally in the 80s. And she was okay. on Third Rock from the Sun in the 90s. Uh, Jane Curtin was on television for a good part of 30 years. Man. Yeah. I mean, she's great at what she does. She is. She's excellent at what she does. So, I mean, there, there's something about Jane. I don't know what to tell yeah. you. <laughs> well, in this movie, we're just going to jump around. We're just going to talk about different parts. Uh, there's going to be spoilers, people. So if you haven't seen Coneheads, stop listening right now. Go watch Coneheads. Come back. <laughs> The one thing that Dan Aykroyd is very famously known for and which I've complimented on and commented on in several of his movies and television shows is the fast-talking jargon, the, the pitch man. That's oh. his thing. And, now, and he does it as an alien in here. But Jane Curtin is just as good as Dan Aykroyd. When she they, matches him. She matches him, word for word. Ah, the morning consumption of mass quantities. Grid-like breakfast slabs, extruded mammal tailings, seared strips of swine flesh, and flattened chicken embryos. I will enjoy it. What is a seven-letter word for a tomb in ancient Egypt, which is a quadrilateral masonry mass having smooth, steeply sloping sides meeting at an apex? A flindar. Ah. <laughs> And like, uh, I'm just amazed. I was watching some of the SNL sketches featured the Coneheads and the one that stood out in my mind was the Jeopardy thing. And they have that jargon that you're talking about. But in this movie, they take it to the next level where they're just, like you're saying, Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin are just whipping it out at like ridiculous speeds. And as you mentioned before in the first one, I would be concentrating on which word comes next. Am I going to swallow that word? Am I going to miss it out the word? And, and going to have to start over. Uh, well, honestly, we don't know how many takes they took to get it. But the finished product is just great. Just the two it's, of them going back and forth. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, uh, something else we brought up in the, the first uh, rendition of this is the, the, one, of my favorite, one of my favorite scenes. Not, not the ultimate, but maybe penultimate is I think you brought it up first, the, the scene in the bedroom where it's just the classic trope of like a rom-com of like the wife asking the husband, what would you do if I died? <laughs> and just the retort that he says is phenomenal where he was like, stay in our slart chamber and stay here until all my fluids coagulated and my, I would cease to exist. Uh, the smell would be horrendous. <laughs> and I mean, he, he, there's like even more that he goes into and just that scene alone is delightful your breathing has become erratic a torg for your thoughts elder are you content with me of course why would i not be now i would like to enter my slar face let us suppose for some reason my life function ceased what would you do i would incinerate your carcass in the tradition of ovidar the obtuse and put it in a clean dry place would you find a new genetomate to bring to our guest chamber and propagate? Ah, my most precious one. I would collapse. I would draw the shades and I would live in the dark. I would never get out of my slar pad nor clean myself. My fluids would coagulate, my cone would shrivel, and I would die, miserable and lonely. The stench would be great. Oh, Beldar, you have made me very happy. Yes, I know. Good night. 
the, the mundane rom-com with just aliens, which I thought was a very interesting, just a very interesting scene and a very interesting take on, on the rom-com. Oh, yeah. I mean, this, this they did a great all-encompassing movie. of uh, This is a basic, like, fish-out-of-water story. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are people that, like, are coming from... I mean, there's a lot of stories out there where an outsider comes in, tries to fit in, um, and then they, you know, they, they are trying to learn their experience and be, you know, part of the world, um, more literal in this sense. Um, so it's, it's, it's like a basic story, but just with a beautiful lens put on it. But the thing with this is they immediately blend in They're They're doing everything wrong, but they, <laughs> they immediately blend in with everybody just immediately accepts them as who they are. Nobody, yeah. I mean, it, it comes out later that they may be aliens, but for the, for the most part of the movie, they're just, they're just immediately accepted for who they are and how they talk and how they look. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the good scenes of that is like with Simbad when he's running the the repair shop, and I, I think it's he's just coming from a place of this guy's a hard worker, he's great at his job, and he's sitting there doing stuff at lightning speed, and um, just you know the people just go, all right, they're strange, but they're good at what they do. That was like a running theme during this movie. More than one occasion, they say maybe it's a, a, a an, uh, an illegal alien trope joke and this is this is sinbad saying man he's better than any black guy he's better than any white guy he just he just does his job and he does it well oh yeah it, so I'm, I'm thinking that might be that's an illegal alien joke I, well there's a lot of under undercurrents like that joke about illegal aliens being hard workers and then we have a scene where i i believe you just said where uh, they are considered illegal aliens and Michael McKeon and David Spade play these federal officers. And there's a really, really, it's just a deja vu scene where Michael McKeon is a border patrol officer and he's talking about putting collars on people. And if they walk across the border, they get set oh, on fire. Or right. it, it, it just really echoed what's going on today with the border and how oh, this, yeah. this person is not treating these people as people. Oh They're, yeah, and back then, I think it was a a parody and an over over the top performance. But in twenty twenty, it's like it's not it's, that o- it's not that over the top. It's it's no. really close. Yeah, you bring up a really good point because there's there's stuff in the back that like people would parody, and you'd be like, "That's outlandish! It'll never happen." Oh, oh, <laughs> uh, it's it's an interesting point that they bring up. And I mean, there's there there's just hardcore people that want to do that job, and take it too seriously. And you know, I mean, but that that might get into a different podcast. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and then there's that underlining thing about religion because when they first land, they they go into a hotel, and Jane Curtin is reading the Gideon Bible. She's just laughing her head off. <laughs> and, and then later we have a scene, which I believe is one of your favorite scenes. Yeah, uh, when uh, Michael McKeon and David Spade, who are the government workers, pretend to pretend to be Jehovah Witnesses. Oh yeah, they come in and just the. Um, I appreciate the the reason it's one of my favorite scenes is not only is it a little bit of play uh, with religion, which I'm coming from a like depending on who listens to this, um, I, I feel comedy things can be said in a lighthearted, like fun way to like um, acknowledge differences as long as you're coming from a good heart and a good place. Uh, that's my opinion. Um, but in this one, it's, it's um, almost like there are people come in the Jehovah's witness or they're posing as Jehovah's witness and they knock on the door and they're like, Hey, can we talk to you about um, the upcoming destruction of humanity and how you can be saved? And just the, the aliens, like the Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin, their eyes light up and they're like, yes, who told you that sounds great. Come <laughs> in and let's discuss it. You know, and, and one of my favorite jokes is they're talking about, reading straight from the book and how 1,400 and sorry, 144,000 will be saved. And they both look at each other and smile and they're like, that is an optimistic uh, outlook. Greetings. Hello there. We just stopped by to introduce ourselves. We're Jehovah's Witnesses. How do you do? I am Beldar. We attend the Kingdom Hall. 
On Coveneck Road. Ah, yes. Next to the dry cleaners across from 7-Eleven. Exactly. May we ask you a question? Uh, proceed. Do you agree that the world is headed towards a terrible calamity? Most definitely. In fact, I have direct personal knowledge that this is so. Great. May we come in? Of course. Enter. Assume comfort. My mate, Primac. Greetings. Be seated. So, what do you know of the doom awaiting this planet? Oh, well, as, uh, as witnesses, we believe that the end of the world is approaching and that only 144,000 people will be saved to reign. I do not believe it will be that many. Uh, no, the Bible clearly states 144,000 will be saved to reign. That is a very optimistic estimate, considering the primitive weapons the Earth people will use for their defense. You know, and they have a couple of digs at each other like that that I just really appreciate. They're, they're saying the same thing, but meaning something completely different. I love jokes that are set up that way. So this is the Coneheads. They're, they're back. They're the sketch in Saturday Night Live from the 70s. And in this movie, they take us back before that. So it's not a continuation of the family from Saturday Night Live. It's a, it's a new telling. Uh, because when they did it in Saturday Night Live in the 70s, their daughter was one of them. They talk, she talked like one of them and was an, was an alien. In this updated version, they have their baby on Earth so their daughter talks and acts like a typical, a typical American teenager. Did you like that part of the movie? Did you like that better than having all three of them be aliens? I think it speaks kind of like to kind of what you're saying is people coming from another country and how the, the older adults kind of still have their heart back home. And the, the new generation that's coming up is just, they're, they're immersed in... The, it's not novel to them. It's their world. So they're already adapted and already in uh, where the parents. So I appreciate the having the daughter um, <clears throat> be an insider while the parents are kind of trying to figure out. I mean, they figure it out by the end, but they, they still have a longing to go back home uh, during the course of the movie where the daughter is just, she's just living her life. And I think that kind of speaks to, not that I can, not that I have direct experience of it, but I have friends that have parents from other countries that, that say, you know, they, you know, they, they have that kind of, they, they think about tradition and they think about the way things, even my, um, my brother-in-law's parents are from Mexico. And so they have a mindset where they came, uh, from there and they were saying that, um, you know, we, when we were back in our country, this is how we did things. And the kids are just like, well, you know, we need to do it this way because this is, how, you know, so it kind of like rings true. Um, even just like a few hops in my life. Sometimes things are not as good as you thought they were. They went back to their home planet Remulac and realized that they liked it a lot better on earth. So sometimes yeah. things are not as good as you remember that old, I forget the author. He's a famous guy, but you can never go back home. Oh, that yeah. portrayed in this movie as well is like you can't go back. You have to, you, you have to keep going forward in life, and that's what they decide to do. The the coneheads at the end of the they're going to go ahead. You know they're going to live their life their way. Yeah, and it's it's I think it's a beautiful like simplistic story, um, and it just so happens that they're aliens from outer space. Um, but yeah, their whole goal is to get back home. But once they get there, they realize that they were home. So right. You know, I, I definitely agree. Like that point is is well displayed in this movie. But here's one thing that I noticed. After I watched the movie, I watched the trailer, which played <laughs> at the beginning of this podcast. And there's a lot of scenes in the trailer that are not in the movie. And one of the main, there's a scene with Drew Carey. He's in the movie for like maybe 45 seconds. He hops into a cab and says, I need to go to LaGuardia and Dan Aykroyd. Uh, by the way, I need to go on. The, there are some things which did not age well in this movie. They portray all cab drivers as Indians because Dan Aykroyd is wearing a turban over mm. his cone and then his, his boss has a turban. So there was a little bit of, of stereotypes that, that did not age well. Uh, Do you it, think that's more just he had a cone head and he was trying to hide it and it just so happened that, I mean, I, I don't mean to... Um, retort against you but i i oh, thought it was just a, a matter of you know they figured out a way he can hide his pointy head i would agree with that but he doesn't hide it any other time 
That's uh, touche. Uh, but anyway, the, the running gag from even back in the 70s is the Coneheads are from France. Where are you from? We come from France. And since they're retelling the story, there was a scene in the movie where Drew Carey asks him where he's from. And uh, like a French bread truck comes driving past and he just looks over and he goes, I come from France. <laughs> so if you're if you're retelling the Coneheads origin from scratch, and that is a huge part. I come from France is a huge part of the Conehead lore. I think you need to have in the movie where that came from. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would have been a good joke to keep in. But, um, you know, they, you know, sometimes budget people or, you know, they'll sit there and have their test groups and go, it doesn't make sense. And so they have a test group that didn't, you know, they don't have a heart in the characters from the 70s. Mm-hmm. You commented on the all-star cast. We, t- we brought up Drew Carey, uh, but there is a ton of Saturday Night Live alumni in this movie, past, present. To me, it, it warmed my heart when I saw, of course, Chris Farley, but also uh, Phil Hartman and, oh, yeah. and Jan Hooks, all mm-hmm. of whom who died way too early. And, of course, and uh, Phil Hartman and Chris Farley dying. I don't want to make it sound like their deaths were worse than uh, Jan Hooks, but they were... Chris was an overdose and, and Phil was murdered. Um, yeah. So they, violent deaths. I, that's what I was trying to say. So they, they died violently. And just to see them interact with each other, just to see them on the screen, what, you know, in, a, in something that they've done, since we know we're not going to get any more of them, that was great. Oh, see. yeah. And they, I mean, the, and something else about just going back to like Chris Farley and stuff, you know, I don't really, this movie really like portrays and like shows how he brings heart to character and how just he, he put so much like um, positive energy into this movie kind of really shows it that he's just some, I mean, he's just some lackey like um, auto mechanic, but he, he brings a sincerity that you know is is immeasurable that like you believe that this guy you know is is who he's portraying to be i now this might be just me being an old codger (laughs) and the fact that i use the term old codger means i'm an old codger (laughs) so dan Aykroyd's daughter and oh and this is I'm, i'm not sure of the time frame of the movie because when they first land there's uh people at the air force base watching a star trek episode and mm-hmm. I thought, well, it might be a rerun. However, yeah. later in the movie, when we go to uh, 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 David Spade's and Michael McKeon's office, you open it up and there's a picture of Ronald Reagan and George Bush as the president and vice president. Mm. And this is present time. So this is, did this movie start in the 60s when they landed and ended in the 80s? Um, oh, I just Assume that they're, I mean, like they had a baby, but I don't think that aliens like have the same gestating period. And that was another thing uh, I was going to comment. You, you hit the nail on the head with that. Did the baby, so does that mean that this teenage girl is going to be like 10 years older than Chris Farley in six months? Uh, oh, that's a good point. <laughs> so there's no, be- there's no real time because they use time. They say, you know, they'll be picking us up in 15 grab blocks. So these, seven, seven zeros. Seven zeros. We know what it is in alien time, but we're, uh, we're, we're always off put by how much time has passed in our time. I, I really don't know what the time frame of is this movie, when it starts, when it stops, what year it is. Uh, yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe it's by design so you can kind of like place it any day, and, you know. Like you said, 2020, it, it fits in this time as well, sadly. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it does, because uh, they get shot down. And, I mean, the very first scene, some of the pacing in the movie is amazing. Um, I really appreciate, not to, like, shift gears hard, but. No, no, go um, ahead. I mean, they get, they get shot down. And then, oh, I'm going back to star-studded cast, like, I have, like, moment, like, just the very first scene, like, Michael Richards in. And not to separating the artist from kind of the person, Um, you know, I think he does well as the uh, clerk at the beginning. He does. Um, He's excellent as the befuddled clerk. He plays a good befuddled character. Um, But I mean, immediately, like right after that, they get in the hotel and then he's like, we need a job. 
after it, uh, and when, uh, going back to the phrasing and what they say, I think, what did I write down? Um, the phrasing is like, once the hydrogen uh, droplets cease to fall, uh, I will look for work. And the next scene, he has a job, he's, he's working and doing stuff. And like within the next scene after that, they're pregnant. And just the pacing of this movie is like amazing. I, they're showing the, uh, how logical the aliens are. We are we're strapped here. The next, the next logical step is to get a job. The next logical step is to find housing. Yeah. They're showing how, how logical uh, the, the, alien, the alien minds are. Well, it's just, I mean, it's good writing at the, the foundation of what it is. Yeah. In fact, one of my favorite shots in the movie is at the, towards the beginning when um, Sinbad, when, when um, Dan Aykroyd comes up to Sinbad and says, uh, it's time for a sustenance uh, break. I'm going to consume my protein and carbo intake. Like, yeah, go take lunch. There's a scene where he's walking from the back to his trailer and just that weird, uh, I don't know if you recall it, but there, he's coming down the stairs and they kind of shoot through like a dryer um, window or a washer window. Um, and it's, it's just a really good shot. And it just yeah. made me kind of like just like aliens and weird and uh, unusual. And just that shot gave that energy off, which I really appreciated. Uh, the, well, the, the crux of the movie is Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin. They obviously love these characters. They took these characters seriously. If they played these characters any other way than totally straight, it would, the movie would not have been the characters, the movie, it would never have it, not the same. Oh, wouldn't, yeah. have, wouldn't have the same impact. Uh, but the, and this is a weird point. My, I'm sorry, my brain's hopping around too. Perfect. You, br- you brought up Michael Richards. He's yeah. in this movie. Jason Alexander. Is oh in yeah. This, he's in this movie. But Julia Louis Dreyfus is not in this movie, and she was an SNL alumni. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's interesting. Because Jason Alexander was he wasn't on SNL, was he? No, he wasn't. Okay. So that's peculiar. I wonder how he has the circles and stuff. And then also one, one person that I got excited about was Tim Meadows. He's towards the end of the movie and he, he was in SNL for a long time. I think him and, uh, and Kevin Nealon, who's in this movie. Oh yeah, that's right. He was the, um, uh, he was the superior and, and that's kind of like, that takes me to the protagonist. First of all, Kevin Nealon does amazing as that character where he has the slicked back CEO um, direct to the point. Like it's, he plays that character flawlessly. Uh, but, uh, that's kind of interesting, uh, that they, the protagonist, like, um, he's kind of like doing his job and doing what he needs to do and, uh, climbing the corporate or government ladder in this, uh, instance. And he's just doing his job so he can climb the ladder. Uh, cause there's a point in the movie where they, they don't catch, um, the alien cause they're INS they don't catch the aliens and then he gets a letter. He's getting promoted and he just disregards it and like, Oh, let this case go to the next guy. I don't care. He just drops it. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's, it's, it's bureaucrat one Oh one. This is, this is no longer my problem. But when Kevin Nealon comes in, I appreciate that the whole center of the movie, it brings that guy back and brings the protagonist down. So he has to keep like chasing you know, what he's doing, you know, and he has to go back and, and, you know, he makes a good bad guy. He's in those Christopher Guest movies. He's one of yeah. the, uh, yeah. And of course, Lenny and Squiggy, you know, from Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> you know who else was in this movie, which I just, it was just a split second, was Ellen DeGeneres. She, oh, yeah. She's the swim coach. She's a swim coach. She has literally had, she literally has 10 seconds of screen time. I think she was, this was like a part she had to audition for. I think this was before, I mean, this was well before her talk show, but was she on television at this time? She, I think it was, I, I mean, I don't recall, but I thought her show was like, um, mid, no, this is 92? For, 93, uh, yeah. Yeah, 93. this is 93, so it's probably shot in 90, 92, 93, yeah. So I think this is right before her show. Not that I'm, I'm knowledgeable, but I think it's, because I remember Ellen being on like in the early 90s to mid 90s. So yes, I believe you're. I think this is right before she hit. So I think this was just a, a this was a payday for her. This was this was her agent sending her on a gig. I, I don't think I don't think she was part of the. Oh, we know that guy and we know that woman and we know that person. I don't think that was it. I think it's just happenstance that she became mega famous and yeah. and now she's in this movie. 
it's kind of fun to go back and watch some of these old movies and just like have your jaw drop and go, wait a minute. Oh my goodness. What a bit part for such a, a big personality now. And again, separating the artist from uh, the current stories and all that kind of fun stuff. Yes. Um, uh, and so if we're, if we're on cast one more time, I would like to also um, point out uh, John Lovitz as the dentist. And yes, I will point him out because he starred as Dan Aykroyd's brother in My Stepmother is an Alien. Oh, I need to rewatch that. Yeah. It, it wasn't something, I mean, I watched a long time ago, but I need to revisit it because it's, I mean, uh, it's a good movie. It was, it's a fun movie. It, that was the movie I saw in the movie theaters. I saw like, okay. My Stepmother was an Alien in the movie theaters, yeah. Uh, I think, no, I just, I mean, I think it's another one of those VHSs that mm-hmm. existed. And speaking of Dan Aykroyd, I believe this is at the, the end of his leading man days I, I i believe after this movie he's he's uh more of supporting characters in most of his movies not not all but most i i believe yeah. I, except for blues brothers 2000 but uh, anyway uh, but dan Aykroyd has and i think that's probably a conscious decision on dan Aykroyd's part because uh during this time he had the house of blues restaurant he had the house of blues radio show he has a lot of other Plus his interest in the occult and the paranormal. I really don't think he minds, or he did mind, that he was no longer a leading man. I think he was fine with it. And and he's got more money than God. I mean, yeah, I'm sure he has exorbitant amounts. And and I wouldn't shake a stick at a a partial role, even if it's like uh, just one line and something. So. Well, I think he's taken movies that he either wants to do or movies where he's helping a friend out because he was in, he was in I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry. Yeah. And that, quite honestly, was one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Um, something you mentioned in the last podcast is your enjoyment of um, Adam Sandler, his, his little piece. Yes, yes. Uh, that, it's a great connection because when I watched, uh, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, there, there was no energy coming from Adam Sandler. He was a blank slate. He was, it, was, it seems like it was just for money. He was just doing this. There was no energy, as you put it. And he has this short little scene with Dan Aykroyd, which is my favorite scene. He, he's, he's brilliant in this scene. Oh. All right, here's the deal. Your name is Donald R.D. Chico. Got that? Donald R.D. Chico? Yeah, that's you. D-E, capital C-I-C-C-O. You were born August 11th, 1951 in Brockton, Massachusetts. Brockton, Massachusetts? Oh, it's a lovely town there. And your name is what? Donald R.D. Chico? That's right, you are. It's nice to see you. Your wife's name is Mary Margaret Rowney, born June 26, 1955 in Narragansett, Rhode Island. But you're from where? Brockton, Massachusetts. Hey, my mother's from there. You two were married June 4th, 1975 in Coros, Greece, where you met on a fellowship following your graduation from Hobart College. Hobart? Hobart College. College. Let's put them together. Hobart College. The man's a wizard. Everything else you need is in here. Birth certificates, family names, school records, employers, addresses. Grandmother's maiden name. Not that the last, but it's in there. (laughs) (laughs) Most important, your social security numbers. What's your name? Donald R. D. Chico. Donald D. Chico, nice to meet you. Welcome to the United States. Right in there, up and down. It's just the, 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 the comic timing between him and Ackroyd. It's, it's great. And he brings the energy. And that's the energy I believe he's lost over the years. Unless he's doing a movie like Uncut Gems. Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler movies nowadays are so bad he's invented another category of movie which is <laughs> called it's it's, it's not it, he's raking it in but the movies are awful and, and he, can i as devil's advocate if you don't mind sure. i wonder if he's just wearing i was listening to um a podcast and they were saying sometimes when you act and you wear so many hats and you're also directing and helping write and helping produce that sometimes you get lost you, you can't focus on it um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think maybe some money has influenced him to do some things. If but in, if, if that's the case, to your then point. you got to. If that's the case, then you got to step back from something because yeah. you're, you're putting out garbage. Because to go from this movie where you have a bit part and just you make it such a sincere energy, such a 
like, I mean, there, there's no, when I saw this, it, I lit up cause it was great Adam Sandler acting. Yes. It wasn't even acting. It was just great people being people. Have you ever seen the movie Shakes the Clown? Uh, no, but that's on my list. I just watched Bobcat Goldwaith um, uh, stand up and he yeah, mentioned it. So. I've actually worked with Bobcat, name dropper. Uh, and Bobcat <laughs> is, a, is a great guy. Uh, oh, yeah? He's, but he's got, yeah. And, but uh, Adam Sandler has a, has a small part in Shakes the Clown and he's, he's great in that. Okay. If you go back and listen, if you go back and listen and watch his older stuff, even stuff like uh, The Water Boy or uh, yeah. Billy Madison, he, he, he had an energy that he, that has faded in time. And as I, and as I said, he's invented another category of movie and that's called not an Adam, not an Adam Sandler movie. Yeah. <laughs> like when uncut gems came out, people are like, Ooh, and they're like, no, no, it's not an Adam Sandler movie. So you should go see it. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I know what you're, I know what, yeah, I kind of, I get the vibe that you're talking, like, not, not to, I mean, we can rail on this for a while. But yeah, like, yeah, Let's, we don't have to. Actually, if, if we want to take a little deter, I don't know if, I don't think he is, but Longest Yard was, he had a good, decent energy in yeah. uh, when he remade that. But all the crap on Netflix and Jack yeah. and Jill and Pixels. He's, I mean, <laughs> I, if I was in his position, I don't know what I would be doing. I honestly don't know. It's really weird. I don't know how this became on Adam Sandler, but it's like really weird. It's, he's sort of respected and a joke at the same time in this business, which is really weird. Yeah. But anyway, enough of this. Let's get back to, uh, let's get back to Coneheads. Can I actually, before we go back to Coneheads, can we, I'm interested and I'm sure your fans are interested in the Bobcat Goldthwait when you worked with him. Do you mind if we delve in that or would you prefer we not? Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. We can delve into that, sure. It's, yeah, I'm just curious. Were you on like a road show with him or were you? I, uh, yeah, I was on. A, I was his opening act uh, for, a oh, couple, yeah? for a couple of stand-up shows. And he couldn't have been a nicer guy. I'll, I'll tell this story. I was working with Bobcat and we were in this. Uh, we were in Indiana, South Bend, Indiana, and we were working a funny bone, and the hotel was connected to the, to the club. So all you had to do was walk down from your room. So we were both in this hotel. And like three in the afternoon, I get a knock on my door, and I was taking a nap. So I woke up, and I was just wearing boxer shorts, and I opened the door, and this guy just, it, it, he startled, and he goes, uh, um, is, uh, is a Bobcat here? And without missing a beat, I, I turned and I said, honey, it's for you. <laughs> and then the guy freaks out. He goes, oh, but our, no, uh, I'm, Bobcat had a, a record signing. And the front desk gave him my room instead of his. And so it was a mix-up. And, and I'm like, no, no, dude, I'm, it's a joke. That's, he's, that's comedy. He's not here. You got the wrong room. And that story was all about me. Nothing to do with Bobcat. Uh, so... Um, <laughs> It's it's a brilliant setup, but yes. I mean the point of the story. Like he's a nice guy, and I, you had a I, good time with him. I can't say anything bad about Bobcat. He was the, he, he did a great job. Uh, he was very nice to me. We went out to dinner afterwards. Yeah, he treated so uh, all good things about Bobcat. I had I had no problems with him. He he you know he treated me like a fellow comic and a person. I wasn't just I I wasn't one of these people. I've worked with comics who are assholes who yeah. don't, don't even acknowledge you as a person, let alone a comic. Uh, Bobcat was great. Well, I appreciate the tangent. Thank you for, I mean, um, sharing the story with me. No, no problem. Um, now, yeah, going back, now back going to back Coneheads. <laughs> Speaking of comics, Eddie Griffith yes. is, is in this movie too. Yeah, he is. A and Sinbad, uh, they were both in the same scene together. Oh, yeah. I mean, I appreciate them as comics very much so. It, it was just a who's who of 80s and 90s people in this movie. And I think that, that has a lot to do with Lord Michaels. I think, people want oh, yeah. with, I think people want to work with Lord Michaels, and I think people want to, uh, Mike, to keep Lord Michaels happy. Oh, yeah. I mean, when he calls and he's running, I mean, it's even, it's, it was Lord Michaels' production, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. He, yeah, he produced this. it. Yeah. And so, yeah, when he, when he says, hey, you remember that favor I did for you? Um, go be in this movie. You know, I don't know the guy, but 
uh, <laughs> I'm sure when somebody of that caliber says, would you do me a favor? You, uh, you acquiesce. You do it. Yeah. And probably Dan Aykroyd too, probably called in a couple of favors as well. That's yeah, I would, I would imagine so. Cause I mean, and, and I've been on some film sets before. Um, and, and it's, it's to me, it's not to the point of work. I wonder if maybe that's why, um, uh, some people kind of get a little like it, it becomes where anything you do after enough time um, eventually like changes and grows a different way. But you know, if, if a friend says, Hey, come be in this film or come be in this movie or come be, have this would, part, if you had a movie and you called me and said, Hey Scott, can you do a day's work? And I was in a scene with you and we got to not, we would do the scene, but we got to hang out and goof around. I would, I would, yeah. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm sure that had a lot to do with getting a lot of these people in, these, in this film. Oh, yeah. I don't believe this film was a hit. Now, do you think this film came out too late? I mean, it, it obviously came out 20 years after the Coneheads went off the air. Do you think this movie was maybe too late in coming out and why it wasn't a big hit? I mean, I don't. I, I, uh, I, what does it get on Rotten Tomatoes? Do we know? I don't know off the top of my head. Let me see. I'm looking it up now, but um, uh, I I was disillusioned if it was it was a hit or not. I enjoyed it, um, but you know sometimes they, I mean maybe there were didn't they do a Pat the movie at yes. one point? So I mean, uh, according to Rotten Tomatoes, this got a 35 percent on from critics and a 37 percent from um, audience members. So maybe I should vote so that people. You know, <laughs> I mean, I enjoy the movie. It's, I, it's a simple I like movie. The movie. I, it, it is a simple movie, and I liked it. Uh, yeah. It, it's Pat is just, uh, just stay away from that. I mean, uh, and with that, talk about like um, uh, when we were saying like this one um, kind of is timeless. That one is definitely like you can't make some of those jokes today. It, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely um, not today. Well, but, and it's, I mean, uh, and it's not when you're doing when you're doing insensitive humor and it's not funny that's just worse it's like oh, yeah. if, maybe if it's funny it's just like okay i can see and if it's like you said if it's not coming from a mean place but when you're doing something if you're making fun of a group of people or a person or sexuality or anything like yeah. that and it's just not funny that's that's like the double nails on the coffin. Well, and, and this is, I mean, even if it is funny, like some people could be, I mean, it's just like any joke. Like you can, you can say a joke and there's going to be a select few people that find it humorous. There'll be a select few people that find it just, okay, he said it. Those are words or she. And then there's a select few people that get offended because it uh, resonates with something inside them that, that, you know, happened or, you know, so uh, comedy is, is one of those things where one s sentence can be said and it could mean hundreds of different things to hundreds of different people. So, I mean, you know this more cause you, you go out on the road and you see, you know, you've been to big cities and you've been to small towns and you've been, you know, you, you travel a lot and do this for a living. So, I mean, a joke that works in one area might not work in another area and vice versa. Absolutely. Yes. But I mean, going back to Coneheads, I think because they're aliens, maybe maybe you can kind of like um, put some nuances on there that uh, kind of um, uh, are kind of reflective of some things, uh, but maybe not directly pointed at them. Hmm. Well, it comes. We were talked about Michael McKeon talking about putting collars around illegal immigrants' necks. Mm -hmm. uh, well, what happens is. Dan Aykroyd, Jane Curtin, and his and their family, they're brought back to uh, Remulac, their home planet. And Michael McKeon and David Spade get brought along for the ride, and he ends up having a collar around his neck. Oh, and not just a collar of like if if you pass this area, but like a whole remote control collar of it's, you have no will. Also, a little thing is so David Spade plays Michael McKeon's yes man. He, and perfect, he, like. David Spade is that's that's his character. That's his character. He's the sniveling I, little bureaucrat. Weasley. He's the Weasley, <laughs> and he gets left on the planet Remulac, and he starts weaseling up to the the leader of Remulac, who is Dave Thomas from SCTV, another great show. Uh, but there's this that there's that little joke 
It's just like these weasley little bureaucrats are like those little, those little uh, birds that uh, clean a hippo, you know, like clean alligator's teeth. And oh, yeah. Yeah, they're just parasites. They just go from one person to the other. It, it's like they don't want to... It, it seemed like David Spade's character didn't want to get a promotion. He liked being the snivelly little second-in-command. Well, he just wanted the coattails. Yes, he just wanted. He didn't want the coat. He just wanted the coattails. There's a lot of fun. I mean, I appreciate that. That just his character of like he intercepts everything important and goes, "Ooh, it's not a good time." I'll, yeah. you know, and they go away. I'll, I'll get it to him at the right time, and immediately turns around and goes, uh, "Sir, this is very important. Look what I found." Yeah, he's the weasel, and Chris Farley is the big, big dumb guy, and these are basically the characters they played in Tommy Boy, mm-hmm. which Dad Aykroyd was in, by the way. <clears throat> Have you done a podcast on that, Tommy Boy? Yes, I have. Oh, okay. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> love Tommy Boy, love Chris and David in that. Because it's really weird, because when you think of Chris Farley and David Spade, you think of them as a comedy team. But they're both yeah. in this movie. They don't have any scenes together in this. Now, their credit with it, at the beginning of the movie, their names come up on, this, on the screen at the same time, but they don't have one scene together in this movie. Hmm. That's peculiar. I wonder if it was like... If it was fortuitous or if it was, uh, you know, I don't think people thought of it that hard because they, they both got some pretty high billing if they're in the beginning credits. Yes, they are definitely not the cameo. They're not the cameos. They are definitely, they have, they both pretty, ha- they both have pretty meaty roles in this movie. I mean, let's oh, yeah. say this movie is Jane Curtin and Dan Aykroyd all the way. That's the, yeah. Oh, yeah. But as a supporting cast, they have pretty meaty roles in this movie. And just even the, some of the like little, you know, I mean, we some of the roles, the smaller ones coming up are just some heavy hitters too. Um, even, yeah, so just the whole cast around is, you know, I was excited watching this and reminiscing because I haven't seen this movie in a while. So just come, going back and like getting little jolts of like, oh my God, that's Drew Carey. That's, ah, I mean, I guess we could do it at a wrap up, but um, wh- what's your take on the whole movie watching it for the first time? I enjoyed the movie. I liked the weirdness of it. I liked the fact that it was uh, basically just a family, <laughs> a family drama. <laughs> a, a man and a woman trying to raise their daughter correctly. And, and as you say, through, they just happen to be aliens. That's, that could be the alternate title of this movie. Uh, they just happen to be aliens. <laughs> They're trying to work out their marital strife. They just happen to be aliens. They're trying to raise their daughter. They just happen to be aliens. They're trying oh, yeah. to... Yeah, I mean, there's even like, um, th- there's not infidelity, but there's like hints at infidelity where the neighbor's saying, you should be careful at this woman, you know, and she goes and reads Cosmopolitan and tries to seduce her husband and to get in more romantic with her. So, I mean, yeah, just they, it's, it's a basic rom-com with, and they just happen to be and aliens. And they happen to be aliens. <laughs> uh, it's only 86 minutes. It's not even an hour and a half. It's a very, very it's short a fast. movie. It's, yeah. a fa- it's a fast, they, they get in and they get out. And I appreciate that because a movie like this, if it goes any longer, then you're going to start getting filler. I think they cut out all the fat and maybe they cut out too much fat because well, like yeah. I said, there was a couple, there was a couple <laughs> of scenes that, that I think scene. that, that could have, because it's, <laughs> it's only 86 minutes. So you're telling me you couldn't put that 30 second scene back in and you'd still come in under 90 minutes. Yeah. They could have had four more minutes Yes, of just have being fish out of water. Like one of my favorite scenes is towards the beginning when um, uh, he picks up a whole pack of cigarettes before he phones home <laughs> and, and just smokes the entirety of the pack at once. Right. You know, aliens not understanding simple things. But also understand. And the thing is, he doesn't want to talk to, he doesn't want to get in trouble. Just oh, like yeah. every, like everybody, it's like he, he, he uh, he fucked up, and he doesn't want he doesn't want to he doesn't want to talk to his boss. How many I, yeah. how many how many times does that happen to us in real life? Oh yeah, that's a good point. Like I didn't even think of it in that um, paradigm, but that's that's a brilliant point. Like he's pacing back and forth because he has to tell them that they got hit and crash landed on a planet right before they you know find out that they're going to have to be on the planet for uh, multiple zeros. Uh, so. It, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of humanity for aliens. Also, if you, if you notice, it's very, very subtle. When the plane is 
when their uh, spaceship is crashing at the beginning, you just hear Jane Curtin doing that back. Well, turn on the cloaking device. <laughs> like she's doing the, the, yeah. the backseat driving. <laughs> well, turn on the yeah. cloaking device. <laughs> <laughs> you should have done it. I know. <laughs> it, it's, the equivalent, yeah. it's the equivalent of you should have turned right. Now oh, have, yeah. yeah. It's, it's that, that's exactly what's beautiful. The, yeah. And it's not overdone. Right. It's very, very subtle. Well, that's, I mean, that's the beauty of this. That's why I appreciate it and would have given it more than 33%, um, is just the, uh, the subtle shifts of the reality versus the, what it would be if there was a, just one thing changed. Yeah, exactly. I would recommend this movie. I would say it, it's a feel-good movie. I get a, I'm, I'm the kind of guy, I get a kick, uh, like you, I believe. It's like, oh, there's, there's so-and-so, there's so-and-so, there's so-and-so. I get a kick out of that. Everybody does a good job in this movie. There's yeah. no, it's like most of the original cast is there, except for, you know, well, you know, John and Gilda. I, uh, was Gilda, did, did Gilda pass away by 93? Um, I don't. Uh, well, I, anyway. I'm it, not sure. But the, the two mainstays of the, you know, is Bill Murray and Chevy Chase. I just could, I don't think Chevy Chase would have cared enough to have done a cameo in this movie. And if he did do a cameo in this movie, I don't think he might not have given it his all. Everybody, yeah. everybody in this movie gives him gives it their all. There's no, yeah, everybody. I mean, and that, that's I think the reason why the movie maybe didn't like is is kind of like glazed over is because everybody's doing their job and it's just such a i i appreciate it as like a cohesive like just you know piece of art and work and just something that you can simply kind of like put on and i think this is what this movie is is like comfort food to me where i could just watch it and and relax and you know it's not an action blockbuster where they're seeing how much they can blow up it's a simple concept a simple movie with a simple plot and all this and a stop motion monster that uh, I, that's in my notes. That's my next <laughs> note is I really love at the very end. Well, and one more favorite scene that I'll say for a little bit later. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was, um, uh, the Dan Aykroyd's character is punished. He goes back to Remulac and, um, he's presenting to, um, the, the King or uh, I em- guess emperor, lack of a better term. Yes. emperor, yes. even better. Um, and he, first of all, they, he, he's shocked because he was just trying to get away from the INS, uh, that they, they haphazardly get picked up during a chase scene. Uh, they're running from the INS. So they, they get, um, Chris Farley to kind of make a distraction, um, and they get, uh, abducted, but in a positive way, they get taken back to their planet. Um, and so they have to go up to the emperor and they're presenting them with all these haphazard things. They just happen to have in the car. Um, and one of my favorite things is the running joke that they keep making is the, the gum, uh, that every, all the aliens had. Oh yeah. It was a condom. (laughs) Yeah. And so like, I mean, I think they called that back three or four times, Yeah. Um, but he gets punished for having his teeth altered, uh, because he's a traitor. And so the stop motion creature, um, they, uh, do you remember the phrasing, the narf with a galakmar? I don't. <laughs> okay. That's as close as I can get, but that's the punishment for everybody. That's a traitor or something is, or just anything. I mean, the other guy was using pleasure spools too many times. Um, so they have to go into this big, uh, arena and which reminded me, which monster. reminded me of return of the Jedi, the beginning scene. Oh yeah. It reminded me of that. There was a couple of nods to um, yeah, with a, at the beginning. Um, yeah, the, but it very much had a Star Wars feel of like you have to go in the pit with a monster. Mm. Uh, but they also had E.T. with phone home. Um, yes. Like, you don't forget to phone home. And then I have to like keep watch it again and pick up some more. Because they had, um, you said William Shatner had a cameo. Not a cameo. I mean, he was referenced because he was in the movie. Um, but they had Star Wars playing at the very, very beginning. So they had a lot of sci-fi references. Yes. And maybe some even went over my head. And I thought the scene where he's battling, where these, uh, the Coneheads are bat it's for a, like a lighthearted family comedy. Even though it's a Conehead, you see this head get ripped off and oh, throw. Yeah. yeah. It gets, it gets mildly violent there for the, for that little scene there where you see, actually see a head. You don't see the head getting ripped <laughs> off, but you see this head getting thrown and just rolling down the stairs. 
it really, I mean, it raises the stakes a lot. Yeah, it does. Because like, if you would have just, if you would have just, these guys would have gone off screen and you hear, ah! Yeah. Okay. But you see a leg, which we, we, you see limbs getting strewn about. You see a head getting strewn about. You're right. It gives the scene weight. Well, not only that, but like the very first, when they pan in, I think they pan up from a skull before they go out to the whole Coliseum. Yeah. So, I mean, they establish the weight and then they reaffirm it with the head dropping down and you're like, holy cow, this is, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good like weighted scene. Like there, there are stakes. I appreciate that. And again, spoiler alert, if, if you haven't, if you haven't stopped and watched it yet, that's on you. Um, but he uses earth tactics that he used in <laughs> golf to defeat the monster. Yeah, he shoots a rock down the back of his throat. <laughs> Which, I mean, is, is, is perfectly like the poetry of the writing of like, they were trying to get away from earth. And then he uses, he uses something he learned exclusively on earth. In fact, he won an award for it um, a couple of scenes before to, um, you know, to conquer and show that he's um, a hero. By defeating uh, the monster, he is granted a wish, and his wish is to go back to Earth and conquer it. Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin, they're leading this attack on Earth, and Dan Aykroyd puts out this false alarm that these ships need to evacuate, and he blows up his own ship, making it look like he was destroyed because they wanted to live their life. They wanted to live the rest of their life on Earth. And just that, I mean, I appreciate the quote at the end is like, you know, it's not every day you can give your daughter the world. So I appreciated the, the heart yeah. that it had towards the end of the movie. Your happiness and positive perception of me is vital to my existence. Besides, it is not every day that a father can give the world to his child. I love you, Daddy. And you said you had another favorite scene? That one, and this this makes me laugh every time. And when it was coming up, I was I was snickering. And when it happened, is the when they're um, uh, when they're like they're at the swim scene. The the lady leans over and says, "Hey, I haven't seen you participate in any of the meetings or anything." And the next scene is them at the football field, and um, the announcer says, "And um, uh, Conehead has uh, volunteered to do the firework display." And there's just this, and you have to see the scene. If nothing else, just look the scene up. Um, and it's just this, he lights this, he has a cigar and he lights this little firework. It's a little bottle rocket, maybe 0.5 milligrams. It launches in the air and just goes. <laughs> and then a smart ass leans over and goes, good job, conehead. And then he slowly puts on sunglasses and leans back with his cigar. And there's this huge, detonation almost like i mean i don't want to say a black hole but there's this detonation of this plasma ray that just shoots and just the whole audience like sits back uh and then confetti starts falling as they sit in silence of what they just witnessed and just the juxtaposition of like having that little like little thing and just the sheer um cockiness that he's sitting back and he's like i know i know what's up i've been on earth long enough this ain't my first rodeo. And the thing is, there's a callback to it because later, uh, Julia oh, Sweeney yeah. uh, runs into Jane Cur Julia Sweeney, the woman who said, we haven't seen you. They, she runs into Jane Curtin and her face is all like burnt, uh, oh. like sunburned <laughs> from, the, from the explosion. So it was, a, it was, it was a very, uh, this movie is very, very subtle, which I, I mean, I'm, we're big Three Stooges fans. Oh yeah. So we like over the top. It looked like, you know what? I guess this movie was a bonanza don't do it scott come on say it will no don't make me do it say it this movie was a bonanza yes we have no bonanzas <laughs> that's our favorite what that's my favorite three stooges quote anyway i feel so dirty uh, inside and all the time i thought we had a bonanza yes we have no bonanzas <laughs> well, we got plenty of breaks <laughs> Say something, kids, say something. Bonanza! <laughs> so we like over-the-top stuff like Three Stooges, but I also love subtle comedy, and there's very, very subtle stuff in this movie. I would say 
This is one of those movies that the more times you watch it, the more times you're going to catch the subtle stuff that's going on that you didn't get the first time around. Oh, yeah. And and something else is like a continuation of that joke is she's talking about um, Mr. Conehead doesn't need to participate in the lightings for Christmas, which just like solidifies it even more because at the very end, they take a picture with um, Chris Farley and the daughter and they have a big light for the camera, the flash. Yes. And it, it does something very similar where it just blasts uh, enough that there's soot and smoke and Chris Farley's face is sunburned. So I can't even imagine what he would do for the Christmas show. You mentioned it before. So uh, overall, overall, well, let's ask this. Is there anything that you didn't like about the movie? Um, that, I mean, I'm sure there's some, a few things where I, I, I maybe. But there's nothing really, is, there's nothing really big. It's just like, no, ah, no. That, I mean, my, my, I'm a simple-minded person, so if there's something I don't like, I'm not going to harp on it and my brain glosses over it. And I try to find, you know, like the there's a lot of subtlety to this movie, that, like you were saying, and just, I mean, simplicity to it. It's a feel-good movie for me, so even if there is some... Um, I'm trying to think if there is anything. Do you have anything in mind while I'm contemplating? Uh, no, not really. I thought, uh, like I said, this movie is about 80, 86 minutes. I have a phrase that I use in my, when I, in my reviews. The, the, the scene, a scene is either in the movie to advance the plot or pad the movie. And there were no scenes in this movie to pad the movie because it comes in at, like I said, I, I, this is one of the few movies where I think we could have used more yeah. in this movie. There, to me, there's nothing, there was no wasted shots. Okay, okay. there's one thing that bothered me, and okay. maybe this was cut. There's a, Tom Arnold is in this movie. Dan Aykroyd is golfing with Jason Alexander. And through this whole movie, Jason Alexander is wearing this obvious rug, <laughs> this obvious toupee. Jason Alexander is trying to get Dan Aykroyd to get a toupee. <laughs> and there's a tiny scene where Tom Arnold just sees Dan Aykroyd and goes, Hey, what's the deal with the head? And just laughs and walks away. Okay. And I figured it's been set up. Maybe we could have had a toupee scene after that. It seems like they were setting up a joke that didn't happen. Yeah, maybe uh, it just ended up on the cutting room floor. May, or... Maybe uh, it just seemed weird. It was like there's all this setup. You know, you need a you need a rug. You need a toupee. Guy makes fun of his head, and that's and that is the only time this one offhanded comment that Tom Arnold makes. Hey, buddy, what about the head? Nobody yeah. else ever comments on the Coneheads heads during this whole movie. Yeah, that's a good point. So that's why I thought it might be leading to a two page. It doesn't, it just seems weird. That was a weird, it was like this, there's a setup, but no joke. Yeah. So maybe, maybe it's just something that got filmed and they didn't do it or, um, uh, yeah. So, I mean, the only hair that he, uh, puts on is the Abraham Lincoln costume, which yeah. I appreciate. But yeah, maybe maybe it was something that got edited, or maybe it was just Tom Arnold was there, and he was like, "Well, just improvise a couple of lines." And they did a couple of takes, and that's maybe maybe the one that they. Just I've uh, I've seen Tom Arnold try to improvise. He, he, yeah, he's not. He wasn't improvising. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, I'll have to rewatch the movie, and if we ever come back to it, um, or if we have like a an update show, I'm happy to um, kind of scrutinize a little bit more. Because um, I was going into this with just like um, a fun little roller coaster I could ride. And those movies like that are great. Your overall review of this movie, Will? Um, I uh, overall review, I'd probably give it like j as far as feel good movies go. I'd maybe give it to um, if I was being critical. Uh, maybe a 6.5 and if it's just out of the simple joy of the movie of kind of the subtlety with all the jokes and just some of the things that I get excited about when I watch movies um, <clears throat> I'd probably push it up to like 7.5 7.8 okay uh, I would recommend this movie as well I don't want it's not a good background movie because as we've said before there's a lot of subtle stuff that you need to be watching and you need to be paying attention to if you, ha if you have a Sunday afternoon where you're just sitting and you're not cleaning or just cooking or whatever, don't keep the – this is not a background movie. This is a sit-down-and-enjoy movie. If you have it in the background, you're not going to get as much out of it as you're watching it. So I would, rec this I would recommend this movie as well. And I'm closing out the show. So uh, I'm asking, what do you want to plug? Is there anything you want to plug on this show? 
Uh, I mean, I just started doing TikTok, which is addictive and probably not a good idea for me recording, uh, <laughs> or not a good idea for me to um, keep doing. But if I had to, um, I think I'm bad, bald boss, all one word on TikTok. Um, and then, I mean, just, uh, I mean, there's nothing else. I mean, my email address is www.will.com at gmail.com <laughs> if you want to email me. You want to email Will? I'll put, I'll put his uh, TikTok link in the description of this show. And <laughs> that is it. I want to thank my friend, Will Fordyce, for being on the Dan Aykroyd podcast. We will see all of you next time. Thank you for listening. Thanks a lot, Thanks. Will. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com slash Scott White and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. That should help people find this podcast. And no matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. Correct, I have a life mate. Is that consequential? With whom are you communicating? Jake from Planet State Farm. Jake from Planet State Farm at 0300 hours. State your identity. It is Jake from Planet State Farm, home of discount double check. Describe your apparel, Jake from Planet State Farm. Uh, khakis. Khakis, explain. A dull earthly garment covering male extremities. Sounds most appropriate. Mm-hmm.